We're live. Hello, Friday, 11.01 a.m. Central, February 10th. Thank you all so much for joining us today. It's been a uh, wild ride. Uh, if you've been following the stock market, if you've been following Tesla stock specifically, if you're uh, interested in the Elon Musk world and all the different things that are going on on that side of the <laughs> hemisphere. I don't even know if that's the right terminology. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, I see he laughed, so it wasn't. Hans and Bob, uh, community members, thank you both very much for joining me today. I uh, really appreciate you guys coming in. Producer wife is such an expert. She knows first thing I'm going to do is pull up the stock price because it's down 5%. Yes, amazing. Um, Hans, Bob, how are you guys doing today? Oh, doing well. First. Awesome. Bob, how are you doing, sir? I am tremendous. Awesome. What do you guys want to talk about? Who wants to hit it off? Who's got yeah, I think to... the stock the stock price, I'm going to be quick on it. I think I mentioned it last time. So, you know, I'm no technical guy. I, I know have no idea what I'm talking about, like most things. Um, but like the technical people I was listening to, they were saying the top was about 214, 215. That was mm -hmm. fine, by the way. We went to 214, by the way, running the butt. And um, they think it's healthy if we take a dump uh, in this pattern. And they were thinking like, I've heard different numbers, but they were thinking maybe down to 155, maybe as low as 144, because there's a whole bunch of support at those levels. And But that would be bullish, because they think that's gonna, we'll go from that point, we'll go up above 230. And once we go past 230, we're running. We're on, because we're, we're, that, in essence, they believe 230 basically changes the pattern entirely, and we are bullish thereafter. So, so I think that the fact that the stock is going to take a breather and people are going to take some profits, that's perfectly natural. And just like people should have gone crazy when it went to 100, they don't have to get, go crazy when it goes to 210. It's just a natural cycle. The business looks great. I mean, the news has been tremendous. Yeah. Uh, it's been, you know, really compared to how it was like six months ago, it's like absurd. And then again, that kind of tells you the psych how the psychology plays in. We're too negative when it's negative and we're too positive when it's positive. And that really influenced the stock price. So I think the stock price kind of sometimes is kind of just irrelevant to what we're talking about. For real. Yeah. I mean, that's that's so brilliantly summed up there. The. I'm like surprised this what hasn't happened earlier. <laughs> this like 5% down day because it's so producer wife has a one month chart up there. Click on year to date. Um, the YTD one right there. Perfect. I mean, since we started the year, this thing has been on an absolute tear, nonstop tear. So it, it does make sense for it to pull back a little bit. Some folks take some off the top. We did have some earnings too uh, last night or this morning. I know Lyft was down like 30% today and i think uber is down as well if you do um if you search for lyft on the search bar producer wife um just kind of want to put it in comparison sort of what's uh what's driving the market um lyft yes lift this thing uh they reported <laughs> that sucks bro could you imagine owning that stock <laughs> my god man my heart just sank and i don't even own it uh yeah so so that's one of the big movers in the market today it literally dropped by a third uh in one day hans what what's your where's your head at with uh with this stuff i yeah i mean that's terrible 
for Lyft shareholders, although I don't know why anyone would be a Lyft shareholder, to be honest. Like, it seems pretty clear that Uber is the big winner in that space so far, and there's a lot of competitive challenges that Lyft is going to face. So, yeah, um, I, I don't really have a good understanding of, like, much runway or I, I'm just not a yeah super knowledgeable about Lyft on whether or not they're cash flow positive cash flow negative kind of where they sit as a business um yeah. it, negative EPS it looks like just looking at their statistics there so it looks like they're losing money yeah yeah if um we do see any sort of autonomous ride hailing service get launched in a meaningful scale in the near future then that is hugely threatening to both Uber and Lyft's business model. And um, yeah, I just would not want to be sitting in their position. Yeah. But strategically, I mean, what do you expect when you basically don't have an original business model to begin with? Like they were always just trying to capture second place against Uber and, you know, okay, that might be somewhat successful, but like, where's the real value add that Lyft has provided to the marketplace other than just being a competitor? Yeah, that's a great point. Can you pull up Uber's uh, stock chart real quick too, producer wife, U-B-E-R should be, uh, yeah. Just I'm curious to see how they're trading in Catan. Okay, so they're not nearly, they're basically down as much as Tesla is. Bob, you went off mute, go for, go for it. Oh yeah, I was gonna say, first of all, I have to apologize. I'm a little colorblind. I tried to match Han's uniform but I missed slightly um, <laughs> to what I was going to say. It was, I heard, and I don't, I don't know how this plays in, but Hertz apparently bought slightly less the number of units than Half. they could have. And um, I don't remember how it was presented, whether it was presented up to, because a lot of times those, those agreements, they agree to buy up to a number as opposed to a specific number, but that was presented like an offhand way of that was like a under purchase but I don't really know if it was. It was like just under half a million and they could have bought a million, I think, something around there. Yeah, I saw, and I don't know if you could find this maybe uh, a producer wife, but there is there was an article where um, looks like Uber only purchased 50,000 or 55,000 out of the 100,000. You mean Hertz, uh, yeah. Teslas. Yeah, Hertz, sorry, yeah. 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 Um, go ahead. Yeah, I think the... Probably, and the speculation that I've heard that makes sense to me is that it's just pricing got a little bit too high because one of the things was that Hertz was not getting any special pricing on that agreement. And so they were just buying at whatever the market price was. And yeah. so they probably had kind of a minimum, um, like they don't want to place orders that are going to be too far in the future. Like they don't want to go over a certain wait time and they probably don't want to go over a certain price to get those in their fleet. And so now that wait times and prices are down, they'll probably be a little bit more aggressive on those purchases, I would assume. Yeah. And yeah, and the goal was to have, I think, all of those by the end of last year. But anyways, yeah, with supply, it doesn't surprise me if it takes them a little bit longer. Yeah. Let me go ahead and read a couple snippets here for those that are on uh, headphones. By the way, thank you all so much for joining us today. Uh, make sure you can hear us okay, but I'm sure you can hear us and see us okay because uh, the producer wife hasn't said anything in the private chat. Uh, Hertz took delivery of half its massive Tesla order of 100,000 vehicle uh, electric cars. 
Hertz disclosed that it took delivery of only half its massive Tesla order of 100,000 cars. However, the numbers uh, don't add up. Okay. <laughs> so I'm curious. I scroll down a little bit uh, for me. Uh, Hertz announced an important effort. Uh, okay. Uh, Hertz fleet in the Americas peaked at 428,000, of which 11% were Teslas. So that's roughly, call it, yeah, 50,000 ish. Okay. Um, all right. So I'm not really sure. Okay, so so that it it does seem like that's the case. Okay, um, Bob or Hans, I wasn't sure if you guys had any other thoughts here. Yeah, I was just looking at the articles and and it said it was citing Hertz that the company expected to have all a hundred thousand units in their inventory by the end of twenty twenty two. Didn't say they would. So, Got it. Yeah, you know, yeah, shortage of supply. The the one thing I've been tracking really closely is the, the how the model three is performing versus the model y from a from a sales perspective ever since the ev tax credit got uh changed on the model y side with the msrp change and um with the super bowl coming up this sunday i don't know if Tesla's going to have any cars to be able to capitalize on the onslaught of ev commercials <laughs> that's going to take hold here uh if we look at last year's trend that Tesla shared when the Super Bowl hit uh, there, I think the interest in the company went up like twofold or threefold in the near term. They they disclosed it in one of their uh, earnings reports, I believe it was, if I remember correctly. And now we're in a world where uh, Tesla's not going to be able to capitalize on that, unfortunately. Well, they might have longer wait times, you know, but we're back to this sort of like delivery wave thing again that, that seems to be unwinding. Do you guys have any thoughts there? Because it's like, for me, it's like Tesla's trying to get away from this delivery wave. And then as soon as they pull a lever for pricing, they're back to the delivery wave. It seems like they're not going to be able to exit it. <laughs> I remember the last Super Bowl, I, I, Polestar in particular, they ripped uh, Tesla directly. Yeah. And I think they thought that was going to be positive for Polestar and it spurred Tesla's sales. It was great for Tesla. So I, I think the only thing that I guess they have that's available is if they decide to reduce further the Model 3 price for the time being, and they dump the rest of that inventory on the market. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if it really increases demand, then that will just put Tesla in a better position to raise prices and capture a little bit better margins. Like other people are spending money to market EVs and their marketing spend allows Tesla to potentially charge higher prices and get better margins. You know, what could be better? Yeah, it's just such a weird time. It's such a weird. It's. I think I'm overwhelmed by the amount of positive stuff that came out. <laughs> like I don't know which one to hone in on. You know, like there there's so many things that are that are happening. But I do wonder if now we're on this like holding pattern with the story where it seems like all the pieces are in place for Tesla to truly. So I was on a space. Uh, I'm going to change, not to change the topics, but it's like along these lines. And I was I was on a space last night uh, announcing the. By the way, if you're in Austin on on Wednesday, March first, uh, the Tesla Owners Club in Austin is hosting a uh, Investor Day after party at Clive Bar on Rainy Street. They're celebrating the 10 year anniversary of the club, and then we're also going to have a uh, panel hosted by me, uh, where we're going to have uh, folks in this uh, panel that are going to be a mix of institutional and retail investors, uh, very well known in the call the Tesla community. And Sandy Monroe is going to be one of those folks on the panel. So I'm very much looking forward to that. And it will be live streamed. So we're also going to live stream it from location 
to this channel and other channels as well. But there was a there was a, a lady on the on the space last night, and she asked, you know, what Tesla has this sort of goal of hitting a uh, largest company in the world. You know, they're they said five years from now they want to be the largest company in the world from market cap perspective. And the question was, what is needed to get there? Like, what what's missing? You know, like what 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 do you think Tesla needs to get there? And I I'm like. And you guys tell me if this is the right way of thinking about it. I'm like, time. It doesn't seem like they have to do anything else to really get there. The the pieces are in place. The battery focus is there. The manufacturing focus is there. The margins are there. The demand is there. So now it's just like, okay, just just scale it. Just go. You know, the the, the competition doesn't seem to be eating away any sales. If anything, it's helping them mm-hmm. with the Super Bowl, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So what's missing? You know, is, are we just in a holding pattern now for this to come to fruition? How, how do you think about that, Hans? I think the two things besides time, which, you know, they'll, and time will solve these regardless, but um, one of them is just battery material supply. So in the medium term how much supply do we have to create batteries um scale that up and then the other piece is software as a service margins which i feel very strongly that those will be incorporated into various products over time you know the the more that they expand into what transitions the world to a sustainable energy future not just like Sustainable transport is only one part of that whole giant master plan of a sustainable energy economy, a sustainable energy future for the world. Um, there's lots of other products that are involved in that besides just cars. And I think lots of those products um, and cars as well have have major opportunities for software as a service margins that will ultimately just catapult Tesla's net profitability into the stratosphere yeah go ahead bob yeah so i I mean it's performance it's volume i think you know i'm gonna look at it differently not time it's volume so it it takes time to get the volume but it's volume because the cash rolls off from the volume they're making money on each car the more cars they sell the more money they make i mean it's not a complicated scenario um i think on top of that it's energy kind of uh maturing because we could all see where it's going, really. I mean, the writing is on the wall. We know where it's going. It's just starting going. You know, we talk about the car business being in its infancy. The energy business is not even born yet. Yeah. And I think it's going to be a fantastic additive to the bottom line. Um, you know, the other thing is obviously we have to get, like, there's practicalities. We have to have the factories built out. Built out. We have to expand in that regard. I'd expect like part of uh, the March one uh, presentation will be announcing at least one factory. Um, I mean, I heard again recently, Mexico, the two locations in Mexico, that seems to be going strong. I heard again about Canada and uh, uh, taking advantage of the mining uh, there. So I think it's, it's just volume and they, there's no way anyone else can catch up. I don't think they're in a financial position to catch up in volume. And as long as Tesla continues to build the factories, improve the equipment, I don't think they're catchable. It's just a matter of us being patient. Yeah. 
the the one thing that stuck out to me too was on on Ford's quarterly uh, uh call. Uh, I was watching like a me Kevin video that I, I use him to like get caught up with like the the mainstream side of how they like a mainstream retail. What's weird is like we have mainstream media and then we have mainstream retail, which I mean, and this is not disrespect to me, Kevin. I think actually does really good work, um, but he he's like he, he doesn't think so <laughs> from that standpoint of like really I, I, I find him valuable for my stuff, but I'd love to hear why you don't. Um, but the mainstream retail side of it and then he highlighted this this piece of, piece of uh nugget from ford's quarterly call where jim farley the ceo which i have a lot of respect for to be honest i really do um he said that they don't expect to be profitable on the ev side until 2026 2026 and so what what came to mind there is what is the biggest thesis that we hear from the bear side and people that are doubtful about tesla's prospects to have a very long uh, runway towards extreme profitability and be potentially becoming the largest company in the world from a market cap perspective. They're always like, well, you, they're going up against uh, companies that have expertise in this already. Like they have it figured out. They know how to scale. They know how to make a bunch of money building cars and they're really good at it. So why would why do you think Tesla has such a competitive advantage? You don't have any, anything that's a competitive advantage. And now you look at this picture that has developed in the last really 15 years since Tesla's launch of the Roadster back in 2008. It took 15 years for Tesla to get to sort of this point where they're uh, generating a gigantic amount of profit as a newcomer. Uh, starting in started, 2019 is really when they started creating profitability. And they've been profitable for four years straight. And it gets getting more and more profitable. You compare it to somebody who has been in the car industry for 100 years plus in the Ford. And now we're getting signals from the company that's taking this transition the most seriously out of any legacy car maker that I can think of, at least one of the most serious, Volkswagen and with these especially and, and Ford with Jim Farley, I would say those are the top two that come to mind. And even even Hyundai and Kia, honestly, I think they're doing a good job, Hyundai especially. Not in crazy volumes, but they're trying and they're kind of like under the radar. But it, these guys openly said, we're not going to reach profit until 2026. And the Mach-E, which is uh, and was which is like their SUV, their 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 car that's supposed to be taking a large chunk of sales from the car market, at least in the United States, launched back in 2020. It's been three years, and they're selling what 60,000 globally, maybe 100,000 in 2023, and then they don't expect to get to profitability until 2026. What does this say for the rest of the auto market? It seems like. It seems like it's game set and match <laughs> when the guy that's trying their hardest as hard as it possibly can to actually make this a viable business they're not going to get to profitability in 2026 and what's tesla going to be at from a production perspective by then right this year 2023 they'll be at roughly 2 million 2024 2.7 million if you don't want to give them 50 percent 2025 with the launch of the compact car i don't know 3.54 million 2026 six million seven million cars per year and so and that's that rivals where gm volkswagen and toyota are right now from like a total car perspective i don't know so so it's like that's that's like those things that keep coming to my to my mind when when this topic keeps keep, keeps getting brought up and then to bob's point then you're not even talking about energy and no one's not even the bulls are talking about full self-driving because <laughs> we're all like, what the hell is one? Where is it? I don't know. It just seems like a spring 
to me. I don't want to give any financial advice, but I feel like the the Tesla story from the point of like the the domination story that a lot of like bulls that are very very high on the stock that have been saying is like, hey, this thing is going to absolutely dominate, and it won't even be close. Seems like that spring is like super spring loaded, and starting this year, it's, it's gonna start. It's gonna start decompressing because all those pieces are in place, and now it's just a matter. Like you said, Bob, it's like okay, volume. Now it's just volume and and hit it. I just went on a huge rant, and I'm really sorry. I hogged up a lot of the mic, but I just I just wanted to get it out there. I'm not sure if you guys have any thoughts around that, or if you guys want to switch topics too. I don't care. Yeah. Well, that's just why we're excited for Master Plan Part Three to finally get revealed and hear yeah. the latest and greatest from Elon and Investor Day, um, because those are the types of topics that he's going to address directly. And then, yeah, on you know on a company like Ford, I just can never get away from thinking about. Clayton Christensen's book, The Innovator's Dilemma, and just how these legacy OEMs are kind of stuck in that trap right now. And they're facing not only competitors like Tesla, who are pursuing a top-down um, go-to-market strategy, but then other competitors that are pursuing a bottoms-up strategy like BYD from China, who mm. has just structurally a lot lower cost of goods sold. Um and yeah, it's, you know, it's a scary position to be in and especially specifically like Volkswagen, um, that would be terrifying to be them because one of like China was a huge profit center for Volkswagen that yeah. really carried the company. And now they are having to compete with Tesla on the high end and BYD on the low end in China's market specifically, and I think their Chinese market share is basically cratering. And if that's the thing that you're counting on to float your boat from a profit perspective, um, yeah, that's just no bueno. And good Spanish. Though. So we'll see how long it takes for them to come back for BYD to make it to the United States and compete directly with Ford. I think, like you said, Ford does have the best legacy strategy. And, you know, I think if I was them, I'd try and sell off as much of the ICE business internationally as possible. Like get rid of every single factory, get rid of every asset while you can. Um, Cause one of the, one of the notable points from the innovators dilemma was that Basically, none of the companies that they had tracked, there were only like two companies that they tracked that made a successful transition from one generation of um, electronics architecture to the next generation of electronics architecture. And both of those companies basically did a spin out yep. that they- Which they're doing. Right-sized, yes, exactly. So you have to, the point was you cannot pursue a new market and a new market um, like size and grow with that market when you have an overly large entity that is requiring a larger amount of profit to move the needle. So you have to basically have a startup that is matched with the size of the market that's new and beginning and getting traction. And then that new startup scales as the technology enters broad mainstream adoption. Um, and so Ford is the only one that we see that's kind of pursuing that strategy. I think that's one of the areas where Deese really fumbled the ball, that trying to get this giant behemoth Volkswagen company 
to transition over to EVs when EVs like the the people within side Volkswagen who are saying, yeah, our company's not going to survive this. It's going to bankrupt the company to make that transition. They have a lot of valid points because the company is too big, has too much baggage, too much overhead. And that's why you need that smaller, more nimble, um, and then more appropriately sized company that can grow with EV adoption. Um, and then you, and then you have to figure out how to manage a transition from one to the other. Um, so I, I think that all of that is in play and it's just going to be really chaotic in the auto market, you know, for yeah. the next 10 years. So absolutely wild. Go ahead, Bob. Yeah. So uh, the chances of BYD uh, being able to expand into the United States ballooned this week. It was a little joke there. A Chinese balloon joke. Oh, <laughs> what right. are you talking so, about? <laughs> so this is what I, I think what's going to happen to Ford GM. I Can I just give you props for your puns, by the way? I think I think your puns are legitimately top tier. I just want to give you that, seriously. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It, it's, it's not a unanimous decision, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so I think... I am of the opinion. <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So... Ford, G- Ford um, and GM, I think it's they're going to either end in some kind of partnership. I don't necessarily mean together, but that will be how they resolve it. There'll be government intervention. Uh, Ford or GM will spin off their EV business. And I think Ford said it at one point in time, but the family was against it. The Ford family was against it, but they talked about it. And I think maybe eventually they'll do that or for they'll file, file bankruptcy, they'll clean out all their legacy debt, and they'll basically operate as an electric vehicle company starting afresh, and they'll be able to, ro- to roll at that point in time. If they're only selling electric vehicles and they're making money on it, and they're not uh, laden down by all their debt and all their ICE inventory, I think they can make it. Yeah, I I agree there. And it, it, I don't know how else they... I don't know how else they survive, right? Because it, it is they just have so much freaking baggage to carry forward. It's complete. It's completely unbelievable. It really is. And I, I am so excited to see Ford's Q1 or, or like earnings with the separate entities with Ford Blue and Ford Model E, which is the, like the two entities they have. Because I mean, I am di- I am dying to see what the electric vehicle side of the business looks like. Because we can take that data set and then go back to where Tesla was and say, so how many how many uh, units have they sold so far uh, Ford last year? The electric, like 70,000 units in the whole year, something like that, under 100,000. We can go back to a Tesla earnings report where they were right under 100,000 and pull up the quarterly report and we can do a side-by-side analysis and see how each company is structured. And then if the thesis of the Tesla bull is, Tesla is way more efficient, is way better at running their business than any legacy automaker is because they're starting from scratch. And even if these companies decide to spin off, you should still see that clear separation. And that is what I'm most forward looking forward to is being able to actually see that because this will be the first legacy automaker that has done that no other uh legacy automaker has given us insight into what the electric side of the business looks like and ford would be a phenomenal proxy for this because from a cultural standpoint jim 
is Jim Farley, the CEO, is saying the right things, but also doing the right things. And they're trying the, the best they can with their know-how to move forward. And so we can take that report. This is how I'm thinking about my thesis, right? I'm taking that report and I'm saying, okay, this is top 20% approach from a legacy car maker to get to profitability from the EV standpoint. And then you start tracking that forward and then you track it with Tesla and then see what happens, right? And if our thesis is right, we know what's going to happen. And if our thesis is wrong, then Ford Model E, the electric vehicle segment of Ford, is going to be gangbusters and great. And they'll reach profitability way before we expect it, which would be phenomenal. I, I, I couldn't be happier for them. But then on the flip side, if you look at their gas car business, you can start to see, okay, so the theory is as electric vehicles become more mainstream, it gets more and more expensive to manage this car side of the business because you're laden with all this freaking debt. You have all these factories. You have all this labor. You have... Uh, um, unions on top of it that are going to fight tooth and nail to force inefficiency into the system to try and uh, remain like retain employees and you should see that in the cogs you should see that in the cogs by by your you know your volume goes down but your cogs ain't really changing your cost structure is not really changing so i'm also very it's like dude like i and that's why i really think jim farley deserves all the credit in the world because doing this is so incredibly brave it's so brave to literally open your doors and say, this is what we're doing. And this is what it looks like. And y'all can decide what you want to do with it. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. I think literally the only thing harder than starting up an electric car company from scratch in roughly 2008 and forward is actually transitioning a legacy OEM company to EVs. Um, so true. You know, I think companies like BYD have a lot, a lot easier path there. And then even, you know, the Koreans, uh, Polestar, Hyundai, Kia, those companies, I think have a little bit easier transition as well, just because they don't have all the union overhead and all the politics that we have here. So I, um, I've seen some banter back and forth on Twitter about, you know, how the unions either in Germany or in the United States will be open to negotiating and, you know, they want ultimately to preserve jobs and they won't put the preservation of jobs below being really tough in negotiations. And um, I'll just say that that's not my view on unions uh it's certainly not my experience with them so early on in my career i worked at a cable manufacturing plant that had been bought out in i think the 80s um because so they were previously i believe owned by alcoa and which was an aluminum a major aluminum company yeah. and they had union it was a complete union shop and they had negotiated incredible benefits and working environment they had like six weeks of paid vacation and all kinds of stuff and the, the europeans are like union went it. into <laughs> yeah well here yeah anyways so <clears throat> they came into the negotiations after they had this sweet thing and they were pushing for raises and more um, more paid vacation and the corporation told him flat out, no, 
we will either come to an agreement or we're going to shut this plant down. Mm. And the union could not come to an agreement and they shuttered the plant. Another company came in and bought it up and then reemployed all those same people. Um, and they basically ended up taking a 30 to 50% decrease in overall pay package when you factored in um, all the benefits and everything to get reemployed because the union got greedy and uh, they ended up really screwing over their workforce. But the people doing the, the negotiating had a lot to win and not a whole lot to lose um, by just negotiating hardball. And uh, they overplayed their hand. And I, this is kind of a story that plays out periodically with unions. And so, like I said, I wouldn't be surprised to see some very poor decisions get made in this whole transition by unions. Got it. So the UAW is at risk to actually lose a lot of membership here because if they play too hard of a ball with Ford and GM when they're trying to become as efficient as possible to move to EVs, because, you know, it needs less parts and it needs less machines. So you need less people. But, you know, unions ain't going to give up fees. <laughs> that's not how that's unions are trying to make a profit, which is completely wild. <laughs> I don't understand that. Right. That's so weird. Um, so that those are fascinating points. And thank you for that for that insight. Real quick, I do want to bring this up and I'm going to throw it over to Bob because I know you probably have some things you want to share. Can you pull up the, the thing you have stage, producer wife, please? Uh, the Innovator's Dilemma which is a book that uh, if you are following, if you're familiar with the Tesla story and you'd like to learn more uh, about how the the investing thesis, the, the bull side of the investing thesis uh, plays out uh, potentially, this book gives uh, incredible insight into how huge companies that seem like they're in completely invincible uh, collapse because they do not know how to transition into the new technology that's taking hold in their industry. And this is what one of the primary bull theses are. <laughs> I don't even know how to say that correctly. Uh, for the Tesla story. Go ahead. I was going to say it's really interesting to think about when you realize. So the author Clayton Christensen was a professor at Harvard Business School. Um, so taught tons and tons of MBAs. That was his job. And the essential thesis of the book is, yeah, when you follow the MBA playbook on how to manage your company and it gets too big, it dies. So all the things that we're teaching you are a recipe for disaster past a certain point. <laughs> um, yeah. And then the other thing that I would mention is that the one of Clayton Christensen's core uh, tenants that is part of his theory of disruptive innovation, which, you know, that term gets thrown around a lot. It was actually coined, I believe, by Clayton Christensen in this book. Um, but he saw that as low-end disruption only. So the over and over again in all the case studies that he looked at, it was a new competitor coming in at a lower price point and then eating up market share of higher price goods over time. Um, and so he classically said that Tesla was not a adhering to the theory of disruptive innovation because they were starting at the top of the market and moving down market um, instead of starting at the bottom of the market and moving up. And so that's one 
slight difference in that when you read this, you would come across. Um, but I think this theory has been expanded since then by other people who basically you just need to find an undefended point in the um, in the consumer product space or whatever, but in the marketplace and get a foothold there in that undefended part of the market and then expand to the rest of the market from there. It doesn't really matter if it's low end or high end. Yeah, no, those are great points. Yeah, my, my biggest takeaway is like when you have bloat as a company and something new comes along, if you don't have the right talent, you're dead. I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. And the bigger you are, the, the, the more assured, like the more likely it is that you die. Uh, because it's it's harder and harder to to transition. Well, yeah, the longer you've been around, the more rigidity steps in. And so you can even have the right talent, but they are basically yeah. hamstrung and not able to make the transition that's necessary. That's right. Bob, go ahead. Yeah, so I am uh, older than you guys by like six months, I believe. Maybe. Um, and uh, uh, I remember like in, as a kid, I would see these stores and they'd be, and I'm in LA area. I'd see these stores, chains that were prominent. And I thought when I saw them, that was going to be there for the rest of my life. That was kind of my expectations. And as time went on, 30 years, 40 years, I would notice that certain chains would disappear, companies would disappear. And it would be shocking to me because at some point in time, they were vibrant, you know, vibrant and busy. But I kind of, in my mind, I think of like businesses having kind of a life. There's a life expectancy and absent some something, they kind of die on their own. And um, it surprised me. And, you know, when Hans was just talking about uh, he was describing the situation, it was actually a company I was thinking about. There was a company called Fedco uh, that was like a, a wholesale department store that basically got replaced by Costco. It was the same model, but Costco did it much better. So Fedco disappeared. It was around in my childhood, but completely disappeared. So anyway, that's that's kind of how I think about it is kind of businesses have a useful life and then they disappear and something replaces them. That's better um, Two, uh, the problem with not This is the comment about uh, unions. The problem about unions, at least his, I find is and and far as I kind of referenced it is the management is so corrupt that they steal so much money from the members that they 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 basically tie the hands of the union they're, they're And, you know, there's been many occasions. Jimmy Hoffa exists. I mean, even if you're 10 years old, you know who Jimmy Hoffa is. He's like the uh, epitome of like the, you know, the not the quite shady union leader buried, I think, in the Meadowlands, wherever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's corrupt. And so their purpose, although back in 1900, was protecting the health and safety of the workers, which of course was a good a good idea and saved probably hundreds and thousands of lives. But in the current time, their value is lessened. And you know, they'd be smart if they were gonna, if they were thinking about retaining jobs, they just have to shift industries. So, you know, they're United Auto Workers now, but why not be United Robotics Workers? Why not like shift and train their own people? I mean, that's what their money should be used for. That's what the due, the due should be paid for. And so three, we're talking about uh, building cars, building EVs. So, you know, there's basically three companies in the United States that are pure EV plays outside of Tesla, Polestar, 
Fisker Lucid. Lucid is, you know, basically fairly hanging, yeah, barely hanging on. Fisker has not made a car, and Polestar is okay. Polestar seems like it's got it, but those are brand new startups. So we're talking about legacy that are in the, you know, they're in the hole. The startups have a tough enough time just kind of getting their gear, you know, getting everything in gear, getting supply chains, getting to be vertically integrated. You know, how many years did it take Tesla to get vertically integrated? And listen, during COVID, that saved Tesla's ass, being vertically integrated. Otherwise, oh, yeah. otherwise, they, you know, the production would have been terrible. They wouldn't have had access because everybody else had those production and supply problems. Anyway, those are my three. They, they, grew, they grew during COVID. That's how insane this was. Like they grew, like their supply chain got larger during COVID. The, 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 literally everyone else, the opposite happened. And then people will say, "Well, it's because they're smaller." That's not how it works. You, I, the, you, you secure the supply chain in proportion to your size. That's that's how supply chains work. The fact that they were able to secure, and, and it's become especially difficult when the supply chain gets smaller. Thank you so much, uh, Buck, for the for the beer fund. Thank you, uh, longtime supporter, uh, community member. Thank you so much, Buck. Um, the so the, if the supply chain is this big, and then uh, something happens where it makes it this big, right? All the big players are going to go like, "That's mine. That's not yours. That's mine." And then they'll pay so much <laughs> to make sure that they get it. And so, and they'll get priority because they know they can drive the volumes to those people. And so the smaller players get completely screwed over. And the fact that Tesla was one of the smaller players and they were still able to secure a bigger piece of the pie, I don't, I don't think they get enough credit for that. That was completely insane. That was completely and absolutely insane. Like looking back and when I think about, well, you know, I get why people would be upset that they didn't grow 50% year over year in 2022. But but then they'll get credit for growing 80% in 2020 and 2021 and whatever those numbers were during a shrinking year for the supply chain. Completely insane. Those were great points, Bob. Thank you so much for bringing those up. Um, Hans, uh, anything on your side? No? Okay. Uh, what else do you guys want to talk about? Let's do another 20 minutes of topics from y'all, and then we'll do an extended Q&A. How does that sound? Sound good? Anybody have any topics? Yeah, I want to talk about factories. So, I mean, do you think the factories are going to be announced in at March 1? Do you think it's going to be more than one? Do you think there's going to be one announced in 2024? Do you think it's, I'm asking like a whole series of questions here. Keep going. Yeah, you're a lawyer. It's going to be Mexico, Canada, Indonesia, or elsewhere. Do you think they're going to continue to export more vehicles from China than they will sell in China? That's like five questions. So which one do you want to go hit, hit first? Whatever <laughs> one you like. Choose whichever I want. Yeah. I do think a. Uh, I do think a. At least one gigafactor will be announced at Investor Day. I would be surprised if they don't, because if the theme is extreme scale and master plan part three, I'm like cool. What are you doing for that? It's like, oh no, we don't have another factory for that. Okay, weird. So I think I think it would be part of the discussion for sure. Uh, location is up for grabs. I mean, Mexico seems to have the most uh, like uh, smoke behind it. You know, where there's smoke, there's fire. So it seems like that would be the one of the primary ones. And it would make sense given how insane the demand is in the United States for electric cars right now. So having something in North America that would take advantage of the of the EV tax credit and the IRA and how it's built from a cost structure for Tesla to take advantage of that, I think Mexico makes a ton of sense. Um, and I I think the export question from Shanghai, I think maybe 
maybe this year if if the Chinese economy doesn't rebound super strong and Tesla doesn't have an ability to say max out production. Although it looks like their rebound are super strong since the uh, since the uh, new year, like they're basically back to normal. I think that equation uh, for sure tilts back to them shipping more in, or selling more in China from that factory once the compact car gets released. I mean, there's no way it's not. There's no way. So like don't as you, a net production, yeah. Don't you think extreme scale though would be met with two factories? I mean, if Elon comes on March 1 and says, we're gonna build two factories, just like they did when they built Berlin and Austin. I don't know if number. I don't know if number of factories necessarily is. I, I would agree. I think it sends a stronger message that says extreme factories, extreme scale. Here's three. I think that would be incredible. the The other thing, though, is that Tesla seems to be able to squeeze a lot more out of one factory than any other automaker. So if you look at uh, Fremont back in the Numni days with Toyota and GM, I think it was the partnership. The max capacity there was 500,000 with seasoned automobile experts, right? Um, now Tesla's at uh, nearing 700,000 as a newcomer. So, so, and, and this is before, this is their first generation factory, which is completely insane. <laughs> the first generation factory, yeah. they have 30% more production than the two biggest experts in automotive with GM and Toyota back within the yeah, many days. But so, that does include the tents too, so. Hell yeah. It is in a larger footprint. Um, and yeah, but that, you know, that is a lot more vertically integrated as well. So you've got a lot more that's going into the cars. The I, I think with all of the, um, smoke that we've had on gigafactory rumors recently, that basically they're coming down to the wire on trying to get some agreements signed. And I think they want to make some announcements on March 1st. And I think all of the talk between Mexico, Canada, Indonesia, all these places is them working down towards getting those agreements finalized. I definitely expect to see multiple gigafactories announced at investor day. Um, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they go with four that, you know, they've done two, but that four could also be expansions. Um, and so we'll see how that goes. One of the rumors that I saw that made a lot of sense to me that I like is potentially in Indonesia setting up a factory to produce solar um, and not cars, because I do think that that's going to be a huge part of master plan. Part three is just addressing, okay, Hey, part of growing sustainable energy generation is going to be solar. I mean, we've had discussions on, I think that Tesla's going to go all in on them producing solar. They're going to leave wind to third-party suppliers. Um, I could be wrong, but that's kind of my my thoughts on that subject. So I would not be surprised to see them say, okay, we're going to be ramping up solar generation. Um, and then especially with the announcement image for Master Plan Part 3, that invitation that is the kind of uh inverted color scale of the side bodies but it looks a lot like if you back away from it what it looks like is a solar cell um and so i don't think that that is accidental by any stretch of the imagination i think that that's going to be a big part of master plan part three and then on china demand you know we heard the rumor about the nine ton gigapress going to china I think that they're probably closer to producing the next generation 
compact. compact vehicle in China than people are expecting. Um, and so, yeah, that could very well be. And even if it's just an expansion of Giga Shanghai, um, I think once that car is released in China, it might cannibalize a little bit of Model 3 and Model Y demand in China. And so you'll see higher exports from Shanghai of Model 3 and Model Y. Um, but then it'll be a long time before the China-made compact car for the Asian market can even meet demand just in China. Like That's not going to be exported for quite some time. That's so true. Bob, go ahead. I'm going to step away for 30 seconds, but go for yeah. it. I would like them to uh, announce on Investor Day uh, that on, in 2024, they would open, and I'm making up the locations. 2024, we're going to open up the factory in, in Mexico. 2025, we're going to open up the factory in Canada. 2026, we're going to open up the factory in Indonesia. And 2027, we're going to open up the factory in North America, in the New England, Northeast, Florida, wherever it works best for supply chain. And... Um, I think that would provide them enough future capacity and it would also spark such interest in the stock. It'd it, it have to revalue the stock because the future capacity would have been enhanced, you know, because we could talk about what they're going to do in the future, but without the actual factory capacity, people like Gary Black, they're not going to count that as in the, in the bank. And um, once it's there, it, it's going to really spur the stock price too. Plus, it's going to, I think, meet the goal of um, expanded capacity. So that's what I hope he announces. I think the other issue is that they have to have the management to be able to do the ramp up. And if you have too many going at the same mm -hmm. time in the early stages, I can imagine that being a big challenge. So I suggest mm -hmm. it's staggering like a year apart. I don't even know if that's enough time. But I would like that, a staggered kind of setup. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, are any of those factories that you're thinking about going to be dedicated to energy storage like Lathrop? Because that's, like to have you know, we've got to hear, there's got to be more, yeah, more energy storage build out over the next few years as well. Yeah, I was thinking more of like the, the new Nevada expansion where it was mixed between semis and energy. Maybe a couple of the factories kind of split between uh, auto and energy and, and to generate the capacity. And I like your idea about Indonesia doing uh, the solar panels because obviously labor costs are going to be much lower there too. What would be the thing that would surprise you all the most that is realistic to be announced at this thing? Like think about like what are the things that are most you know like like i've heard rumors of like they're going to show uh the bot building a car i'm like no they're not <laughs> they're not going to do that but like from a realistic standpoint like let's let's see, and this might be an exercise to see just how realistic we are uh what would be the thing that would pleasantly like really truly surprise you the most like what's the thing you really want announced that is totally within the realm of possibility i would say the platform they'll announce the platform the new platform I think that's reasonably to be expected. Well, they said they were going to. I think right? that's that's why I'd be expected. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, a cop out. Uh, I think uh, the thing that I would be excited about probably the most that is within some reasonable amount of expectation is just showing us 
the 4680 line in Giga Austin that is running flawlessly and ramped to, I don't know, 80 or 90% of rated capacity. That would be huge. Yeah. How about, how about the final prototype for the Cybertruck ready to go into production? Uh, I mean, I, that, that's that's a good one. I think they have to, right? Because they have the mules going yeah. out there right now. Yeah, like the beta, yeah, beta production a, cars. That's a good one. Well, that was a one of the questions that I had in my mind. They say, you know, the most advanced production lines in the company that they're going to show off. Well, there's three options that they have to do that. And maybe it will be all three at Giga Austin. You've got the best Model Y line in the company running in Austin right now, as far as the most cutting edge. But then you do have, yeah, Cybertruck potential um and and that 4680 line that i mentioned so uh and i think i think 4680 line is probably what they will go with just because it's the most core and critical of the three to the future of the company um but man i sure would love it to be the cyber tra- like i want to see them like how are they gonna origami fold this thing and all the yeah. Yeah, like the new production on Cybertruck, that's going to be exciting. So I hope that we get to see that. That would be awesome. I have two. I think there is a chance. There is a chance that they unveil the Cybertruck uh, uh, configuration page on Investor Day, and then, and they'll and they'll be like, hey, for the for the ones that we expect to, you know, we expect to. Was it you, Hans, that said that they, they might announce like the first, uh, the Cybertruck delivery, they might be July 4th, which would be freaking amazing. Was that you who said that? I forget who said this. I don't think it was me. Yeah. But could you imagine if Cybertruck, the, the first deliveries are on, on freaking Independence Day of America? My, in Texas, baby, the, 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 its own country, you know what I'm saying? The message that would send, oh, mm-hmm. oh, if I was the first one, I would take mm-hmm. an American flag and a Texas flag. I would put it on the bed. And I would bring a freaking AR and just shoot it from the freaking windows. I'm driving down the stage. Bro. It would be amazing. <laughs> With fireworks just shooting off from the freaking bed of the truck. So that's one. And these are like, go ahead. They'll sell more in LA. They will. LA, LA is the biggest uh, truck market in the world. Yes, it is. And so, Southern LA. Uh, yeah, that's true. Southern, Southern California. Southern California, where I live, is yeah. the biggest truck market in the world. Yeah, but y'all and, don't like guns. And they say for <laughs> For aesthetics, not for necessarily for requirement. Yeah, it's kind of wild. It's kind of wild. Um, so that's one. I, I think I think they could release that. I, it, this is me. Like again, this is optimal. I would be blown away if they do that. Uh, but I think it's within the realm of possibility because we're starting to see those beta builds. We're seeing those um, cyber. Tr- Let me actually after I wrap this up, I'll send you something, producer wife. There's like a new picture of the cyber truck that we should look into. Uh, there is that one. And then the other one, and again, this is like realistic, but incredibly optimistic, I hope, is uh, the Tesla bot walking. The Tesla bot walking. I think that would be cool. Not like building a car. But because on AI day, they were talking about, hey, we have this thing that, uh, you know, we we unveiled and they brought it out on the freaking mannequin, like on the thing. And it was like moving its hands and arms. I'm like, okay. And they're like, we're weeks away from this thing walking. Okay, so it's been... Uh, weeks now let's let's see it let's see it walk i think that would be super freaking cool and maybe they could start framing the story around hey extreme scale we're gonna need 
innovative ways and maybe in a few in a, the next two years now you can see this thing is walking and our it's it's a thing that has been we've proved that our technology from the agi perspective for this thing to be able to walk there's no reason why it shouldn't be able to handle equipment so we expect this to be useful in our factories in two to three years time because of of this development so those two things are are my hopes yeah that would be incredibly exciting and i think that is a really good observation because yeah he's talked about tesla bot and the labor that's needed in the factories i think that is you know if you're talking about how do you build factories quicker and get them ramped up faster with less capex uh yeah bot is definitely part of that plan they've said that they're going to be talking about ai at the event and so that would be super exciting i really want to have a conversation with james dalma and scott walter about what the factory will look like when it's a hybrid you know when you integrate digital digital self-management and bots and a whole factory uh vision system that can do all the safety com- uh requirements you know if you can keep a car from running into something you can also keep a bot from banging into a human and so part of what makes the factories difficult to um, manage from a safety perspective is you know you have all these dumb bots that can't see anything and you can't as a human be close to them because they might hit you and if they do then you're the one that's definitely in trouble in that scenario and so you know scott's showed the robot zoo images on Dr. Know-It-All's channel quite a few times. You you have to feed the zoo, feed the zoo. Well, you can eliminate the zoo if you have Tesla's vision system doing a whole factory model that's dynamic in real time and it's identifying all the people in the scene, all the robots. And so can you imagine an agile production system where you can have a piece of equipment be running full speed and then at any point a human or a bot can walk right up to that robot and say hey stop 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 and like make a quick tweak on the fly and let it get right back to what it's doing um and not having all of the space requirement that's necessary to provide all the safety caging and all that stuff um i'm excited about what that factory that system of production looks like and i would love to talk to some people that really are deep in the weeds and could help us understand how revolutionary that might be how it might actually work and what is and is not feasible there i would say it just gets denser and you create more separation between man and machine that's that's where my head goes to yeah uh, that's the thing where i think maybe you're wrong though is that i don't know that it's more separation between man and machine i think it's a better more seamless integration between man and machine because you need the creativity of humans to be able to get into the system and make the agile changes like all of the iterations i think are going to be done by people at least for a while i don't think we're at a point where agi can do the iteration part but but like as a percentage of total time the 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 machine will be operating 99.99999% of the time and then the human will come in and make a tweak yeah i mean but that's that's separation yes that's yes. that's separation okay yeah. yeah yeah go ahead bob yeah i agree and disagree with both of you um surprise 
Yeah, and um, I, what I think is going to happen on Investor Day is Andre Karpathy is going to walk in. He's going to walk up front, stand nope. next, stand next to Elon, and Elon is going to peel off Andre's face and body, and beneath it will be Tesla Bot. Surprise! Wow. Have you heard about the latest drama, by the way, with Andre and Elon? Yeah. Is that why you brought it up? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yes. For those that are not aware, uh, Andre Karpathy, by the way, I'm very happy for him. I don't know why this happened. I, who knows? I think people might be reading too much into it. But Andre Karpathy, the former head of Tesla AI, is now joining OpenAI uh, to work on their projects with, uh, with ChatGPT and, and all that other stuff they're working on. And, uh, and Elon Musk unfollowed Andre uh, hours after that announcement. So is there something going on there? Maybe Elon's well, upset. Well, maybe yeah. they're. I think they're in direct competition now, right? Maybe. Because we're because yeah. Tesla's doing AI and uh, and and theoretically Microsoft is connected to ChatGBT, so maybe uh, Tesla is competing with Microsoft. And but he follows. Uh, mm -hmm. He follows Sam Altman, who's like the head of that project. You know, it's like weird. Did Altman ever work for uh, Tesla? No. Well, mm -hmm. I, I think that's, that's the distinction. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah, Elon has openly said that he's not happy with the direction that OpenAI has taken, that, you know, basically they got captured by Microsoft and he was never a fan of that. It was supposed to be an open thing. And so, yeah, I don't think that he is super enthusiastic about the direction that OpenAI is going right now. Um, they are definitely doing some incredible groundbreaking work in the field. Um, and hopefully Andre's conscientiousness, I know that, you know, they care about AI safety at OpenAI, so it's not like they don't, but um, I think that Elon Musk does not or give them credit enough. He, basically thinks that the dangers are too dangerous and that they're yeah. not taking the proper precautions. Um, and especially at the behest of like all the pressures that they have to meet now that they really are in bed with Microsoft, make it harder to yeah. maintain all the safety objectives. Yeah, Bob. yeah. What do you think just kind of a separate, but what do you think about Starlink's choice of not letting the Ukrainians use uh starlink for purposes of drones you not use it in military capacity just use it for civilian communication because they've gotten a lot of crap you know pushback in the last couple of days over that what do you think about that uh that's like so controversial i love it uh i think i think um it i get why people are upset about why they're not able to leverage that system for drones but drones leads event will lead to death in war <laughs> in some way or in another and i don't think um i think the original intention behind having starlink in ukraine was to give the ukrainians an ability to defend themselves and if starlink is not being leveraged from drones then starlink is being used to actively be offensive on their operations uh although you can also make the arguments like well you know the starlink technology does allow uh, them to plan, you know, like they're, they're communicating with each other to plan uh, an offensive thing. So um, it's, dude, that, that's one of those, it's so beyond my way of like how I would be able to, to come up with a solution for that. So it's, it's, I get it. 
but that's why war sucks so much it's like it's just everybody like it sucks it sucks really bad i don't know that's my answer it all sucks Hans? i don't really yet have a, a whole lot of context on knowing the details here it's not an area i've done a lot of research but i'll just say that i mean elon musk has been pretty generous in his provision of support to ukraine and just because he won't be a hundred percent on board with anything and everything they do he gets a ton of shit and um yeah so i think it's it's even more generous of him to continue supporting them even though he gets shit on a ton for not supporting them even more than he supports them which is more than almost anyone else supports them already so yeah yeah i mean I saw, that's a great point and i saw another test case I'm, i know i'm bouncing around but i saw a test test case for tesla bot you know the earthquake in turkey i can only imagine you know if you had like a whole bunch of bots that you could deploy to clear wreckage to move materials from buildings where there's no risk you know of them dying or anything that would be incredibly helpful, I think, in a situation so like true. this. Because, you know, you only have a limited amount of time. You've got 72 hours, basically, and that's kind of it. And if you could get, like, the manpower in, because we know they have above human strength, they could pick up materials. I'm not saying they are like Superman, but if they could pick up a couple hundred pounds of a piece of concrete, I really think that would be invaluable, especially in the early stages, because it's so hard to get people into those places it's very true that's one of those like like life-changing things about technology that it's it's it seems like such uh science fiction to think about but why wouldn't you do that i mean the that's where i can understand how ai and robotics can be so incredible in um saving human lives and making li like the lives of all humans on earth better through through that kind of thing you know it's just uh rescuing humans where it's extremely dangerous to send other humans to do that work you just send things like they're not they're not conscious they're not alive yet <laughs> so you send them in and then they they take out you know they, they remove the rubble and they save human lives how incredible is that like what what a freaking story that is you know it's absolutely incredible that's a great point um okay let's do this Let's do the Cybertruck photo. We want to hit that first, and then uh, we'll enter an extended Q&A, and then we'll also have a poll that will wrap up. So this is uh, we were talking about the Cybertruck uh, potentially going into production, uh, being announced at the, my, one of my theories is that one of the things they could do is announce a configurator for Cybertruck on Investor Day. And this is the latest picture. Is there any way for you to zoom in on that? Perfect. Look at that. Producer. Producer wife killing it. Uh, that looks like a... That looks like a Cybertruck to me <laughs> that is uh, potentially ready for the roads. So the biggest differences here from the other ones that for those that are not familiar, it's got that crazy looking thing on the bumper. I don't know if that was there on the on the uh, alpha version. It's got some lights under the, the fascia as well. I don't know if that was on the production version. It's got, uh, lo and behold, uh, side view mirrors uh, on the sides, obviously. It's got a ginormous windshield wiper, which I hope extends as it goes out. You know, like how I think Mercedes had one. It had a Mercedes E, a 260E in 1987. It was as old as I was. And it saved my life in a wreck. But it had one windshield wiper and it went, it was in the middle. And then it would go like 
it will like extend itself at the corner. So I'm guessing that's what that one would do if they have it as one. Um, and I'm trying to think, I'm trying to see what else is there. It looks like they have different rims, like they have production rims on that thing. Um, and, and the aspect, like the, the, the angle of the photo makes it look sm like quite small in relation to the lines. But I saw it in person. This thing is, is not, it's not small. And you yeah, can see the person in the truck too. So you can see how big the car is. It looks yeah. tiny. I mean, I saw it in person. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. So this doesn't really give you the proportions. Right. But it does give you some detail as far as like what they're working on. Do, do you guys see anything else in there that's that's worth pointing out? Because the shape is basically exactly the same. So that's a beautiful skyline. Okay. Go ahead. Any any thoughts, Hans? Yeah. Um, okay. It's not on this picture, but I they did show a video here recently where you could see the four-wheel steering at work as well. Um, so I know that we had talked about that, I think, last week or two weeks ago. So yeah. that's also exciting. Um, I'm stoked to see all the innovation, like all the technology that Elon has been teasing on how this thing's going to be. I mean, it almost sounds like he's going full Model X Faberge egg again on the Cybertruck. So, <laughs> but I mean, Lesson he'll learned. definitely be able to sell them. Like, you know, if you do a quad motor plaid version of the Cybertruck, you'll be able to sell these things in large volume at way high enough margin to do all that cool stuff yeah. to at least for the the upper level trims. Yeah. And I don't know if I got more used to the look or not, but this I mean it's it's a shocking design, but with some of the tweaks they made with like the blinker light on the on the bumper there under the fascia and above the bumper with the lights there and the side view mirrors it actually kind of looks like a like something that would be on the road, like with the, some of those things that they added. It's still crazy looking, but it looks like a legitimate thing that could be on the road. I was going to say, in this picture, unlike when I saw it, I saw it probably like two months ago, it looks much less severe. So like all the corners and the angles look a little bit, and I don't know if that's real or because we're seeing a flat kind of picture, yeah. but it looks different. I mean, in... in in, in person, I'd be afraid I'd cut myself almost on the yeah. edge. That's how sharp they look. <laughs> Rob keeps reminding everybody, yeah, like proportions and all that stuff can be way uh, distorted by lens, like different cameras having different forms of lens distortion. So, yeah, it's hard to say. I, I think the size and scale and, and severity, I mean, it almost looks like, you know, some of those lines in the front are curved, and I just don't think that that's going to be the case. It here's could the, be. Here's the big surprise. The new platform is going to be the platform for the Cybertruck, and the cost is going to be like half of what we thought it was going to be. Mm, I don't know. I don't know about that. I'm not I'm not predicting it. I'm just stating. Okay. <laughs> That's what's gonna be. Okay. Uh the, the one thing that does I'm not curious to see though is the front, the front opening. Um, if it really is the the top, like that because you can see the lines, right? There's an obvious there. If it's not one of those where like it will open like a mouth, you know, maybe like the, the where the light is will flip down and then where the trunk is will flip up. If it doesn't do that, then I think the F one fifty lightning has a way better front. Because like the ingress to that front seems to be like from the top in, whereas the F-150 Lightning, you open that thing and it's just you just go straight in versus this one, you would have to go above and in. You know what I'm saying? Does that make any sense? So I'm curious to see if that if that mouth will open down and then it will also go up. 
So we'll see. Very curious to see how they're going to approach. I and mean, they might, honestly, because you see underneath, there is room to do that. And maybe that's the thought process behind having the lights, like use that space for something. And then you would have room for that mouth to open up down and then put the lid up. Yeah, I was wondering we'll what's what's the alternative use of those two lights? The, actually, uh, probably two, fog, fog lights. Three, yeah, actually, the three lights, right? I see three. Yeah. Well, um, you have Maybe that. You have the big mouth, right? You have that big light on the fascia, and then you have the two lights on the bottom. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. That's a great question. Maybe off-roading. Yeah, what I was saying is maybe the bottom lights are for illuminating the entire frunk if you're if it lifts from that section. Okay. Uh, so instead of like where the oh. line is, it it actually be the line at the bottom. That would be kind of the surprise where it would. I lift. see. I can't wait. I hope they show this on Investor Day. Just show us what the hell is going to look like, please. I, I want one <laughs> now. Okay. Let's do uh, our poll result. We were running a poll about 20 minutes ago. Let's see what the results are. If uh, producer wife has them staged, I hope I didn't put you on the spot. I hope they're ready. Maybe they're not. Uh-oh, just typing away frantically. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so while we have those poll results coming up, uh, just to give you guys a reminder, we'll do these every Friday. Uh, starting at 11 o'clock central hans and uh, bob are both uh community members uh, let me go ahead and read this poll real quick will tesla bot be shown at investor day 60 percent say no 39 percent say yes you're a bunch of this this latest uh, tesla stock thing has has just jaded everybody <laughs> including myself <laughs> good this is how you like you know this is how you got better uh well, thank you all ask, very much if you ask gary black he'd say he'd prefer if they don't he prefer if they don't. That's right. Yeah. He wants to focus mm -hmm. on the other stuff. I prefer if they do. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, but uh, yeah, Hans and Bob are both community members. And uh, all, along with anybody who's got a nice little little symbol in the comment section. And these guys have uh, have supported the channel through Patreon and and, uh, and um, YouTube as well. So thank you very, both very much for uh, your support. It means so much to me. Uh, just to make an announcement, uh, we started this last week, but... Uh, on these Friday forums, what we're doing is, um, you know, I'm, I'm on YouTube. These videos make revenue through through the through the ads that they get shown to y'all that you always skip, which please do. <laughs> but uh, that's how YouTube makes money. And then YouTube uh, shares that money with the creator. So what we're doing now is with my community, we're taking these community forums and I'm, I'm taking half of the proceeds from those forums and we're putting them into our community fund. And uh, that community fund, the community, so our community will decide what to do with those funds. It could go to charity. It could go to a project. We could buy Tesla stock with it and use it for something. I don't know. But like the thought process here is uh, my community comes on every Friday with me to have these discussions. And I'm extremely grateful for, for that because, you know, it's not just content, but it's actually we sit down and we throw around ideas. And, uh, you know, I, I, it would make me feel better if there's some sort of revenue share between myself and the community. So that's how we're going to kick it off. Um, I don't want to disclose the number because I want to keep that private, but it is significant. It's, it's, uh, there's a few bucks in there that we could do some stuff with it. So, uh, if you do want to be part of the community, do consider, um, uh, you know, becoming a patron, a YouTube, uh, supporter, but half of every single one of these community forums, the income will go towards that fund. And then my community will decide what they want to do with it. It's completely up to them. Uh, so yeah. we'll see what another goes. another way of saying what Farzad just said is after the community forum today, Hans and I are going to Vegas. <laughs> 
no, no, no. <laughs> That's not how it works. But uh, but yeah, no, but but honestly, thank you guys so much for for your continued support. This is so cool that um, I get to do this every Friday. And th these uh, conversations are very stimulating for me. And I hope they're stimulating for the. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that one we can probably justify. She prefers, she's, she deserves it. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, maybe maybe that, that that's some of the convers you know, conversations we have. Maybe we'll put it towards like a meetup or something. But uh, yeah, there's so many so much potential. So yeah, so, so thank you all very much for your continued support on that. Okay, let's do some Q&A, yeah? How's that sound? All right, let's do it. Let's uh, put some cool music in the background, uh, and then we'll do some some questions. Producer wife from James Dillon, always on the on the show. Thank you so much, James. Uh, question, what does the panel think about the wildest thing that will be announced on Investor Day in March? Giddy up, the wildest thing. Uh, so we did like a realistic, like a realistic thought process on what we would see, but what's the wildest thing? I'm going to say... Tesla bot serves drinks to everybody. I, I'm just going to say that Elon is selling SpaceX and he's joining the PGA golf tour. <laughs> That's pretty wild. <laughs> <laughs> Taking it to the extreme. Hans, what about you? <laughs> I really liked uh, Richard's thing with uh, Tesla bot walking out, but it looks like Andre to begin with. So we'll, <laughs> we'll bring that one back. There you go. You asked for wildest. You got wildest. There you go. Thank you, James, for your question. All right, let's do the next one. <laughs> uh, Jay Lizard, another uh, name we see often. Thank you so much, Jay. Question, what is the best thing that Elon could do to help with the disaster in Turkey, Syria? The world is watching. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the you know infrastructure probably got destroyed out there, obviously. And so communications is probably super tough. So I'm guessing Starlink is an obvious one. And if he hasn't done it already, I, I, I would, I, you know, I would imagine that would be part of it. If, if, if they do have coverage over there, any thoughts there? Maybe provide yeah. some vehicles for use, for use, uh, you know, because there's probably a lot of vehicles that were destroyed or can't get around. But I was thinking Starlink also seems like the most obvious. Powerwall. I think energy infrastructure too. Yeah, like they did with Puerto Rico. Yeah, I was there. I, I was at the. Uh, at the our warehouse actually shipped those those uh power walls uh it was awesome like and that was like i was at six months at the company and then literally it happened and we uh we just somebody was like all right we need to help them out let's send some power walls and then literally that night we had a, a shift come in and just we just put, put together power walls and we shipped them and we gave them a nice nice little note as well from bethlehem <laughs> pennsylvania so shout out bethlehem it's freaking amazing that was so cool all right next one thank you jay Appreciate your question, sir. All right. Da, 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 da. Brad, question. Does Tesla announce they will produce more than a thousand Optimus bots this year? No way. No way. What do, what do you guys think? Okay, there you go. Thank you, Brad. <laughs> Next question. Uh, Steven, what other use cases can they use 4680s for besides vehicles? I mean, energy is an obvious one. Um, what do you guys think? Is there any other use cases for 4680s? Yeah, it'll be packs too, or like Optimus packs. Um, but yeah, primarily energy, vehicles, transport. Yeah. I mean, oh. the 4680 form factor will be whatever. They talked about boats being the next accessible form of transportation to be electrified. And then after that, VTOLs. Um, I think the 4680 form factor is probably the right form factor for boats. I don't know about VTOLs. What do you think, Bob? You, you don't want to hear this. 
maybe large vibrators. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. Here we go. That's yeah. I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> Demonetized. No, just kidding. Look at this. That you you screwed over the community, Bob. Jeez, come on now. I'm kidding. Uh, so what? Okay, I was gonna say wind, wind, windmills, wind turbines, right? You can put them in the pole, but this is just going off the rails now. So this is the next question. <laughs> There's too much uh, there to be talking about. Thank you so much, uh, Beach Crow. Question: Where's your embrace juju shirt? You lost the bet with Yashu. Yes, I did. I did. Thank you for reminding me. I had a bet with Yashu that uh, on the State of the Union. The uh, president, uh, President Biden would say Tesla. And if he doesn't, I would wear I would buy a piece of merch from uh, Yashu and also donate a piece of merch to Yashu's community. So uh, but I'll do that on, on, on the next stream that he has me on just to make it into a raffle. And I'll be sure to be wearing that Juju shirt on his stream. Don't you worry. I'm a man of my word. I'm a man of my Juju. Don't worry. Uh, let's do the next one. Thank you for thank you for letting uh, reminding me that I lost that bet, Beach. Really appreciate that. Uh, fail train S question: What do you think of the? Uh, by the way, shout out fail trains always on these uh, live streams. Freaking amazing. What do you think of the Don comments about sodium ion electrolyte battery development by Tesla? Perhaps in five years we'll have sodium ion instead of lithium in half the batteries. Have you guys heard about this? I heard some brief discussions about this. It's very expected that they're exploring other chemistries, um, and it would definitely be exciting to mitigate the risk of supply chain bottlenecks with lithium uh, for them to have some other alternatives. Sodium is obviously one of the big leading uh, alternatives out there. Um, so I would love to see, I think, Based on my understanding, the most likely application for these would actually be energy storage. Um, so, you know, I don't know, half, uh, definitely. So anything that Jeff Don and Dalhousie University are researching on are more than five years away from mass production. So that's the first thing I would say there. So there's no way that we see more than half of Tesla's batteries in five years being sodium ion. That's just not not feasible. Um, but yeah, long-term that could be a huge, a huge component of things. Uh, if, if the research works out, if the chemistry is viable and if it's mass producible. Bob? Yeah, I'd, I'd heard this too, but I really think that, uh, the time frame is much longer, um, too. So I think it'd be closer to 10 years and five years to be quite honest. A great resource for, for this would be, uh, Jordan Gissigi at the limiting factor, mm -hmm. uh, He's, he will give you great insight into that. Yeah. yeah. You find him on YouTube. I mean, just think about when Tesla purchased Maxwell Technologies. Well, they already had proof of concept, like lab scale, bench scale, um, DBE technology at that point, And we're years down the line from that. And they're still trying to get the first like full scale 4680 line with dbe on just one not even both the cathode and the anode um going right now so yeah it, batteries are really hard to produce in large quantities and dbe stands for dry battery electrode correct yep perfect all right next one thank you fail train always appreciate your support uh teen alley question sounds like a rapper dude that's awesome uh if andre knew fsd was imminent there is no way he would have left before the biggest unveil in tech automotive history. 
Do you think level five full self-driving is truly realistic in five years? Yeah, I don't know if that, um, I, I think that's a flawed way of thinking about it in my opinion. I think if Andre knew FSD was imminent, I would argue that he would totally leave <laughs> because he's he's reached his goal and he wants to do something else. Um, and on the interview he had with Lex Friedman, I think uh, Andre was very open about saying that the role he had at Tesla was a little bit more managerial and leadership in nature where he really wanted to get into the weeds of programming a little bit more. And maybe he lost some passion for that specific type of type of work. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I, I personally think, um, people, people are very different in their approaches and I, I could 100% see why, why he would want to move on. I mean, if I use myself as an example, I was nowhere near the close of the tier that Andre is like, don't let me compare myself to him. But when I left Tesla, you know, our, our service network was about to be, uh, in the best shape of its life ever. And we're about to go, you know, on, on route to 20 million cars per year. But I left because I, I felt like it was the right time for me to move on and go to the next thing that I'm passionate about, which it just happens to be this freaking YouTube thing, <laughs> which is insane. So, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't have put it past them. Any thoughts there, Hans or Bob? No? Yes? Yeah, yeah um, I, I, I would say that. Perfect. Oh, go, go for it. it. Yeah, go for it, Bob. <laughs> Okay, so I was going to say, uh, knowing knowing Andre as close as I do, and we're good buddies, I would think that he wants a challenge and he'd leave if it was done. That would be my view. And I think the question, the second part of the question is really not the question. The correct question is, will Tesla have regulatory approval of level five F FSD in five years? Because I think within five years, it'll be functioning at level five. Whether they can operate on the road and whether governments permit it to operate that way is a separate question. Agreed. I think the, the advancements in AI as of late are, are proving that out. Sorry, Hans, go ahead. Yeah, the other thing that I would say on the second part of the question is, to me, the real question is not, is level five realistic? It's where does value occur and when can tesla monetize that value and start building a SaaS business on top of their autopilot software and to me that happens long before true level five um so yeah i, I think that it's an interesting question um but not necessarily the question that i'm most interested in as an investor yeah that's that's a that's a great point. I actually was on on Yashu's channel last uh, earlier this week or last week. I can't remember when with uh, with Nicholas Gibbs, um, and actually I, th I think it was Monday, and uh, that that topic came up. And Tesla could make a lot of money already with a level three or level four that allows the driver to just not really have to pay too much attention and just kind of chill in the driver's seat. And if that is a fifty dollar a month service let's say who wouldn't buy that that's like insane 100 bucks 150 bucks 200 bucks there's a level there's a level where everybody will buy it right and that will generate incredible amount of profit for yeah Tesla, function functionality does not equal the regulatory approval that's kind of the right. difference yeah exactly you know what i was thinking let me just get this out here real quick because before we go to the next question because i've been thinking about this a lot 
if people were really worried about driving and if people really value driving, why are the Toyota Camry, Toyota Corolla and the Toyota RAV4 the best selling vehicles in the world? Those cars are the worst driver's cars in the world. They are awful. They drive like crap, but they're super reliable. And so for me, it's like that, that, that is how I think about this self-driving thing is like, of course, people are going to get it if it allows them to not drive in any capacity. 80% of the population works that way. If everybody loved to drive, the best-selling cars would be the Mazda Miata, the Honda S2000, the BMW M5. These would be the best-selling cars. But they're not because people, most people don't want to drive. Most people just want to get to from point A to point B. And yeah, anyway, so I just... And like it finally clicked for me. I finally had a data set that said, okay, yeah, this kind of it's talking to the thesis a little bit. I don't want to use, you know, you know, cause and effect kind of thing. But anyway, uh, let's do the next couple questions and I'll take it from there. Ba -ba -da -da. Philip, question. What do you do if Tesla show a prototype of 3D casting for compact at investor day? Uh, ooh. So I'm guessing the question is like a single piece casting for the entire compact car. Um, I mean, if they show a prototype of how they're going to do it, that has a lot of implications. That means that they literally are just making supersized matchbox cars. And the production rate for those might be millions per year at a single factory. How do you guys think about that? I'm going to do three sets of crunches. I don't get it. Mm -hmm. Ask me what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do mm. three sets of crunches. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, that one was okay. I should have love called the you puns. the best. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. You should have just taken the comment. <laughs> um, I, I kind of expect, I don't know if it'll be completely single piece, um, but they might do like half the car, half the car, and put two, two half car stamp or uh, castings together. Um, but I'm, I'm essentially expecting something like this. Now, I don't know if it would be unveiled at investor day i think that they can't get too they're in a tough spot with their gen 3 platform announcement because unless they're ready to start producing them in massive volume like now which you don't give guidance for 1.8 million vehicles for 2023 if you expect to produce any significant volume of gen 3 platform cars so to me that says okay we're not expecting any significant gen 3 production this year and so then you can't really get into too many details about exactly what the car is exactly what it's going to cost uh because then you're looking at osborne in your current lineups so i don't know like i just yeah. don't expect that yeah that level of detail yet that's a good point all right and uh let's do one more ba -ba -da -da. last question uh stefan stefan Question, is crash testing done on uh, Cybertruck or do they have to wait for a production model? Yeah, I believe the way this works is they do. Um, that is a good question. I think they probably have done a ton of internal testing on the beta production builds, but they have to send uh, a, a, a few vehicles through their actual production line to NHTSA, I believe, and they would have to give them a green light that it's good to go from there. So they do have to, I, actually, I don't know. How the hell does this work? I'm like speculating here. That's a great question. I don't know. Does anybody know I, in the comments? I think you're correct, by the way. 
but I don't, but not a hundred percent. It has to be right because they can't be sending yeah. a beta. Yeah, it has to be production. It has to be actually a production vehicle because that's what's going to be on the street. Right. That's to be use those machines and they have to use that process. Like you can't be like, oh, it's kind of like this. Don't worry. And then they go with production. It's completely different. <laughs> that that would be that would defeat the purpose of it. Yeah. Hans, go ahead. People have been talking about also being able to use the suspension on the truck to prepare for impact, you know, kind of like they do the pre-tensioning of seatbelts um, and how mm -hmm. that would affect safety in the cyber truck. It's really interesting to think about, but also like how the heck do you validate that in crash safety tests? Like, I mean, Maybe it's yeah. heavy enough to where you can lift the front end way up and transfer your loading in an optimal direction without uh, the thing you don't want to do is you don't want to get that thing airborne. Um, it is super heavy. So maybe you can keep it on the ground, but yeah, all of that, it seems like you would need to rethink your safety testing approach in order to validate that system with real world data. That's fascinating. So like you loosen up, you loosen up the suspension right before impact. So you can like really like have that sort of effect of like transferring energy as much as possible through as many parts of the, of the body as, as humanly possible. Uh, but not so much that it literally turns into like a, like a spring, <laughs> like <laughs> it goes flying uh, at, a, at a big enough, at a high enough speed impact with a big enough car, it would totally go airborne mm -hmm. if, but it might go airborne anyway. You know, would you rather go yeah. airborne and survive? You know, it's, it's it's so many great questions. Wow. Great question. This opens up a lot of things. I wonder, do, is there a safety expert channel that covers Tesla's in detail? Like, like you know how Jordan goes crazy on the batteries? Do, do you know anybody who does this for safety? No? All right. If you're in the comments and this is an area of expertise and you want to start a YouTube channel, I think this would be a really good one. This might be worth it. Just like... Uh, our, well, what a segue. Bob, tell us about your uh, your channel that you're working on. So it's uh, called Not Legal Advice, and it's a legal it's on channel. on his name. Can we get yeah, it to it's read? A, it's, it's a legal channel relating to Tesla, Elon, and in general. And it also is kind of trying to demystify the legal processes so people are not freaked out if they're in that future situation. And today, I'm... A, recording a video and I'll be talking about that Houston accident uh, that happened in 2021 and the result that just happened. Awesome. I'm very excited. I think I think this is great. It's, it's super helpful to have your expertise on, uh, on, on this forum because you, you, you just give such great insight. So I highly recommend you go subscribe to his channel, Not Legal Advice. Get it? Puns? Hey, so good. <laughs> from the master of punts. Uh, and yeah, I, I really appreciate you. And then at the bottom of our names, you can also see our handles. Let me see if I can do it with my finger. Look at this technology. There's one and oh, it doesn't reach right. You're a different person. Uh, <laughs> Hans and Bob, go follow us on Twitter if you're interested. And if you do want to support the channel, I have links to the Patreon and YouTube right below. You can click on join. We'll give you access to our private discord, which is where we're going right now. We're going to continue our discussion for another hour or so on our private discord with my community. And again, Half of the earnings from this stream will go into our community fund, and my community will decide what they want to do with that, uh, with those earnings. They can either sit on it, buy some Tesla stock, donate it, throw a party. The community decides what they want to do. I have zero input. So 
Thank you all so much. Really appreciate you guys for joining us again. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Hans. Thank you, Bob. Thank you, mods. I didn't thank my mods last time. You guys do incredible work. Everybody out there, DRK, Donald, Mimi, everybody. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate you. Incredible work every single week. So thankful. And last but not least, the love of my life, producer wife. Thank you so much for your continued help. Excellent work. Love you, baby. And we'll see you on the next one. Take it easy, everybody. Bye-bye. Oh, the video.